I'm J.P. Tuesday. And I'm Kiki Cannon. As lifelong Disney fans, the work of countless talented Disney creatives have shaped our lives. Now, as the Disney catalog expands, we're taking a journey through film and television to discover if that spark that shaped us as children lives on in adulthood. Does your favorite Disney media still cast that same spell? Join us as we find out. We are Rewatching the Magic. Knock, knock. Avon calling, Kiki. Uh, yeah, I, I already bought at, uh, at somewhere else. Ah, uh, yes, yes, yes. We are talking about the 1990 Tim Burton movie, Edward Scissorhands. This has been in our list for a while, and... We decided now is the right time to uh, to talk about it because if Die Hard can be a Christmas film, so can Edward Scissorhands. Damn it! Well, I mean, this arguably has more direct talk about Christmas than <laughs> Die Hard in some respects. I mean, the entire third act takes place on Christmas. Yeah. And this movie came out on Christmas 1990. So, yeah, and the entire, the opening logo with the Fox logo is covered in snow. So, yeah, they were marketing this as a Christmas movie. I'm counting it as a Christmas movie. It's always been a Christmas movie to me. Yep. You know, it's another Tim Burton movie where you have an outsider character just trying to fit in with a, quote, normal family. And shenanigans ensue, which is a lot of the early Tim Burton movies. I mean, honestly, it's it's even some of the later Tim Burton movies, too. If you take away the remakes, I would say. Yeah. The thing is, is that this was... Tim Burton really became the the golden boy when batman hit it big mm-hmm. we've talked so much about how with the exception of the christopher reeve superman movie that um superhero films just were not sellers you know they nobody expected them to to do well um and then tim burton got a hold of batman and that was you know that's like 1989 and it just goes huge Mm -hmm. that was the biggest thing ever right then every other studio tried to do their own comic book movie to varying degrees of success including dizzy yeah um and you know we talked about this a lot when we have talked about mcu stuff and you know go back and listen to iron man and we kind of go through the the whole shebang about it but um warner brothers that did uh batman were uh had also worked with 
Tim Burton when he did Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Mm -hmm. And so that was two really good, solid movies he had done for them uh, back to back. Um, He had uh, also... Also Beetlejuice. He also done Beetlejuice for them, yeah. And that was a hit, but kind of uh, lesser of the 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 hits in there um because Pee Wee and Batman of course are both known properties Beetlejuice was a new invention you know um now it's a musical <laughs> and now it's a musical um but the the thing is is that they they were telling Tim Burton, like, hey, you know, what do you want to do next? You know, we'll we'll green light whatever. You've just done three big movies for us. And he was like, I want to do a movie about a weird kind of Frankenstein monster dude with scissors for hands. And they were like, uh, that's a little too weird for us. And they were like, maybe see where you can chop that around and come back to us with your next idea. (laughs) So this was the movie that proved a little too weird for Warner Brothers. Um, After having done Pee-Wee's Big Adventure, Beetlejuice, and Tim Burton's Batman... All of which are very strange films. Mm-hmm. Um, this was the movie that kind of made them go, yeah, little too weird, pass. Fortunately for everyone and this podcast, uh, it ended up at Fox. Yay! Yep, and now Disney owns this movie. And now Disney. Um, although, right now, it is currently streaming on Max. Mm. Which is... Uh, part of the uh, Warner Brother Discovery line, but it's still a, it was for, a Fox thing. For now, it's there yeah. for now. Yeah, Who knows? I'm, I'm, I'm sure that after whatever, you know, uh, contract, streaming contract they have uh, runs out. Because it seems that right now uh, Max has most of the Tim Burton stuff. Yeah. So I think that they probably just had a a contract to bulk stream a lot of the Tim Burton stuff, and it just hasn't run out yet. Mm. Um. Anyway, um, Warner Brothers was like, "Yeah, don't go over to Fox and make that weirdo movie. Come back to us and make you know." Batman Batman and and Beetlejuice 2 and, you know, like, whatever you want, you know. Just not that weirdo scissor guy movie. And uh, Tim Burton was like, no, 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 I really want to make the scissor guy movie. (laughs) Because apparently this one was, like, 
he had created it as a kid. And he really had spent like years wanting to make this film. Hmm. So I, I, I don't really know why that this particular story was so, um, so close to his heart. But this was just the thing that Tim Burton really, really, really wanted to make. Maybe he saw himself in this story. I mean, there's a lot of the weirdo goth boy characters that kind of just look like Tim Burton. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm guessing that's probably it. He did grow up as like the weirdo in a suburb. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's probably a lot of that. Um and you get your typical like jock bully kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's from his childhood too. But you know, it's it's fine. Okay. Uh, I I absolutely loved this movie growing up. I don't I don't know what your I lost this a lot. I mean, I own this movie, so when we were when we decided to do this, I just watched my copy of the movie. Yeah, I think I had it on VHS, and I never upgraded to the dvd Mm. so um that's on me that's on me um so i i needed to uh to go to the other place for streaming but uh yeah this is the um the first time that tim burton would work with johnny depp wouldn't be the last. Uh, yeah, definitely not the last. But Johnny Depp at this point in time was primarily known as a teen idol because he was mostly he, known for 21 Jump Street. He had just done Cry Baby. Yeah, he had just done Cry Baby, uh, which is, you know, it's off the beaten track, but his character in there was very much like an. Elvis sort of character. Greaser guy, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's 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 not a weirdo character. It was for a weirdo director, of course. Mm-hmm. But it was very much in line of the, you know, sexy teen idol kind of... Uh, bad boy. <laughs> yeah, bad boy kind of thing. But, yeah, most people knew... Johnny Depp for 21 Jump Street at at this point in time. Mm-hmm. He was not known for being Johnny Depp, the actor that takes the weird roles. Mm-hmm. And this was his first break into let me showcase what I can do, you know? And it's really weird because Edward rarely speaks. And rarely emotes, but you can understand everything this character is feeling. Yeah. Um, 
the movie really depends on that chemistry between the the two leads. Ah, uh, Winona Ryder. Yeah, between Winona Ryder and Johnny Depp, they were actually a couple in real life at the time that this was filmed. Mm. Um, so that that probably helped. Um, a lot of young actresses really, really wanted the part for this, um, but. Tim Burton really wanted Winona Ryder because he had already worked with her in Beetlejuice. And she plays the opposite character from Lydia in Beetlejuice. Yeah, Lydia was strange and unusual, and Kim in this is the cheerleader. The pretty girl. She's She's dating the jock, yeah. Yeah, she's the popular high school girl. Hmm. Um... Which was not Winona Ryder's forte, I think we can say, as mm-hmm. far as how she was cast mm-hmm. in a lot of things at the time. So playing slightly against the type she would normally be cast in. Um, I mean, she and, had just done Heather's the previous year. Yeah, and she was kind of a weirdo in Heather's. Yeah, I think it's safe to say. Mm. <laughs> um, but I, there's a lot of people in this that are cast against type. Like, I mean, Anthony Michael Hall shows up as the jock, jock. villain. And he was just in Breakfast Club. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this is the supreme nerd of the 80s. 16 Candles, Breakfast Club, Weird Science. Yeah, he is he is the supreme nerd of John Hughes films. And suddenly here he is as... The jock. The bully jock. The and, a-hole boyfriend. <laughs> and let me tell you, if you grew up at the time we did... And you were used to seeing Anthony Michael Hall as the nerdy, beat-up kid in the John Hughes movies. And then you're like, oh, let's watch this weird gothic movie about Scissorhand Guy. And Anthony Michael Hall shows up as the bully football player. Yeah, I mean, if you're going into this movie knowing nothing about the movie other than Johnny Depp, Anthony Michael Hall, one plays a weird guy and one plays a jock, you're going to get the two actors flipped. Oh, I didn't even know Anthony Michael Hall was in this movie until I turned on this movie and I saw his name in the credits and I went, oh, I like Anthony Michael Hall. He's going to be fun. And uh, no. Not not fun at all. I mean, good actor, good character. You know, he he does it well. But like, this is brain melting casting. If you are a kid in 1990 who has just watched John Hughes movies. 
Yeah. You know, like. <laughs> um. And, like, uh, Kathy Baker, who who plays Joyce, the oversex housewife who keeps trying to seduce all the men. That was not her type at all. Like everything else she had been in, she was a very kind of straight laced, you know, professional woman. And so this part in here where she was just like the town hussy, you know, that was not what you're expecting from her, you know? Mm-hmm. So there's there's a lot of them in here that you're just like, wait, wait a minute. Why why are you playing <laughs> this this character? Tim Burton saw something in these actors, I guess, you know, wanted them to play against type. Yeah, and the interesting thing is, is especially about Anthony Michael Hall, is as he got older, he kind of did become like a low-key Jim bro. Like, just, just the guy, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, he, he kind of became the, the cool guy sort of you know maybe he got tired of maybe he got tired of playing nerds i mean it's not it's not like i don't think it was a professional thing i think that's just who he is Mm. um i don't think he was ever a nerd i think he was just kind of skinny and nerdy looking (laughs) so he bulked up yeah i mean i i think i think he just you know he wanted to be, you know. He wanted different roles. He wanted a different look for himself. It happens. Yeah. Um, but if you see him now, like, he kind of just always, you know, he wears, like, leather jackets and he hits the gym and, like, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff, you know. Like, mm-hmm. um, so it it is kind of funny, but... Um, yeah, so, other than just kind of the the casting being all weird and against type, uh, there is one person who's playing exactly their type, and that that was that the, uh, the role of the inventor that creates Edward was specifically written for Vincent Price. They were Mm -hmm. hoping to get Vincent Price. The legend. This is his final major role in a film. Yeah, and I mean, of course, it wasn't intended to be that, no. but uh, it just happened that that he passed on. Um, I think before years. before this even came out. No, uh, it was 93. it was just after, just after. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Uh, this movie is so sad with kind of what what happens with that character Mm -hmm. and vincent price pulled that off so well Mm -hmm. because you expect him to be you know you see edward at the the beginning and he is this rather menacing looking creature and you're thinking like 
you know, who would create such an awful thing? Mm-hmm. And then you discover kind of what was going on and how it all came together and how the inventor treated Edward, you know? On the Yeah, in the flashback scenes, the inventor is treating Edward like a son. Yeah, he's, he's reading teaching him, to him. He's yeah, he's teaching, teaching him how him. to, teaching him etiquette, reading poetry to him, educating him the best way he can. And he has a plan to take Edward from, you know, these kind of early stages. And eventually, you know, we we see the, the drawings. And Edward is eventually supposed to be this very sleek gentleman, you know, in in the kind of almost Victorian ideal mm-hmm. of a gentleman, you know. And so you you do know that he he had a plan and that he wants to make this creation and take him out into society like he never meant for Edward to be alone in that mansion mm-hmm. it was just you know the unfortunate circumstance that he ended up like having a heart attack or whatever it's weird because the flashback scene where the inventor dies is right as he's hugging Kim. So the my thought was that he tried to hug his father and accidentally stabbed him. Well, no, I mean you see that the it's at Christmas mm-hmm. and the inventor says, you know, well, it's not cr- quite Christmas yet, but here I have the I have this for you and he brings out the hands that he's intending to attach to Edward to replace the scissors. And that is such a beautiful scene to me of Edward gently caressing the hands and giving him a little kiss. And you could tell how happy he is. And then you see the heart attack start to hit the inventor. And Edward does not start to move until the inventor goes to fall backwards. And Edward, in trying to catch the inventor, ends up stabbing through the hands. And destroying them. And then. He knows that he's dead. When he touches his face. And accidentally cuts him. And. You know. There's no reaction. There's there's no reaction. There's no. And that's why he tells. um, Diane Weist later that. You know. He never woke up. His father never woke up. Yeah. Um but yeah, I mean it's 
it's such a sad moment that you see that he was so close. Hmm. You know, like a couple of hours later and he would have been a complete man. You know, like he would have had the the hands yeah. finished. But that that whole that whole bit with Edward remembering what it was like with his his father and Vincent Price is so there's no malice in him. Mm-hmm. He's such a sweet sweet man. What if Doctor Frankenstein actually loved his creation instead of detested it? Yeah, and that's that's the thing is that you know this is this is a gothic love story, mm. um, and Frankenstein was you know among early gothic literature, and the the tragedy of of that story is that it talks about like you know victor is a father to his creation in the literal sense of he created life in a fatherly sense but he's not a father in an emotional sense Mm. He creates life and is immediately disgusted by it and abandons it. And that's where all the horror comes from. Is not that he created the quote unquote monster, is that he does this creation and then he immediately abandons it. And so the creation has no idea how to be in the world and has no real sense of emotional intelligence and sense of place. And, you know, and all of that is what causes the horror and the tragedy in the in the novel is it's not that the creation is evil in any way. It's that the abandonment causes all the the problems. So the point of the original story is less like don't create monsters, but it's like, hey, when you give life to something, you are responsible for more than just the birth of it. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, you you have to care for it and teach it and stuff. And we see that the the inventor is actually doing that. He doesn't just create Edward and then be like, "There's the door." You know, he he's, te- he's teaching. Yeah, he's teaching. He's and he's not just teaching like basic things. He's teaching etiquette. He's teaching poetry he's teaching you know it's okay to laugh this is funny this is you know but the the only problem is is that 
you know, death takes him from Edward before Edward is is ready. And there's no community there to help Edward. We don't know how long Edward's been alone. We don't know. Because Edward is an artificial creation. Not possibly machine. Yeah, we we don't really know exactly what makes Edward tick. Um, At the very beginning, we see the inventor with a steel frame of a person. And as we flip through the pages of that book, we see it, you know, going from mechanical person to whatever Ed is, to whatever Ed will, whatever the plan was for Ed to become. Like I said, that, that, that gentleman figure. Yeah, all we know about him is that he doesn't age. But the thing is, is that he does bleed and he does hurt. He does scar. He does scar, you know. So there's some kind of organic over him. But the uh, we we never know which which I like better. You know that w- that we don't entirely know what's going on, but I do love the weird kitschiness of the inventor's mansion. I love the cookie making machine. Oh yeah, I like. I mean, it just everything about it is so cute. How how he takes that heart shaped cookie and put it right on the the machine body of that would become Ed as if giving him a heart, very Wizard of Oz. Yeah, I mean everything about the set design for this is mm. just oh so great. Um, and I love. I love how there is the the beautiful candy colored <laughs> suburb. Yeah. And then it's just like oh, look at the creepy castle on the hill up there. <laughs> like, I bet I can sell some cosmetics to the people who live there. Yeah, I just uh, you know, you you got to love Peg and her her wonderful optimism because I mean because that really I mean we've got the bookends of old Kim telling the the story mm-hmm. um they never say exactly where this is of course it's filmed in Florida um but they never tell exactly you know, where, where this is supposed to be. It's somewhere that never snows. That's yeah. the only hint that we get. It never snows there. So it could be Florida, could be California, could be Arizona for all we know. Yeah, well, I mean, the only thing we get is that you can see the ocean from it. 
So it's either west or east coast. Yeah. So it's either Florida or California. Hmm. Uh, take your pick. But it was filmed in Florida. Um, they took over an entire part of a suburb, repainted it and everything to get that candy color uh, stuff. But the, you know, that other than the, 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 the bookend thing of like, let me tell you why it snows and all that with Kim. Um, you know, starting out with Peg and her like, you know, ding dong Avon calling, you know, bit and her going up and just failing to sell anything. You know the, yeah, the all of her neighbors are tired of her trying to sell the the they're uh, trying to sell her cosmetics to them. It's like I, I I've never bought from you before. I'm not going to buy from you now. Yeah, but I'm going to keep trying. Yeah, and I love her going and and giving the demo to the teenager, and then the teenager's like, "You don't actually think I have money, right?" <laughs> That's got to be my favorite one. <laughs> Because I went to so many Avon things as a as a teenager, and I never knew why, like, you know, like, my, my aunts or, like, you know, parents' friends or stuff would, like, invite me to these Avon parties. And they would always, like, make my face up and everything. They would be like, oh, this color looks perfect on you. And I would just look at them and I would be like, I'm 14. I don't have a job. Like, where do you think I'm getting money from? Like, you know, thanks for inviting me to your party and putting goop on my face, but I I got, like, two bucks in my pocket. You think that's buying your expensive-ass lipstick? <laughs> like, Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's... It was funny because I went to I went to a bunch of like Avon parties and stuff, but like I never owned any of this stuff because it's it was like uh sorry I'm I'm a I'm a literal child I have no money. <laughs> but I know she goes up there. I I do like this transition because it looks very gothic horror type of castle there's the wild grass in front of the gate and the dead trees outside of the gate but once she passes through that gate there's this beautiful well-kept garden and these grass sculptures it's very beautiful again it's very wizard of oz but yeah here is this weird looking pale man dressed in black with no one to care for him. And it kind of, it just breaks Diane West's heart, uh, Peg, as she's called in the movie, that she just takes this man in. You know, you're going to live with me. You have no mother. You have no father. You're all alone here. I'm going to take you to see my family. And a typical, you know, I mean, Kiki, you've, you've, I assume you live in this kind of a neighborhood. Here is this married woman that everyone in the neighborhood knows bringing home a strange-looking man, and the gossip patrol is out in full force. Every woman in town is calling, oh, hey, Peg's brought home a strange-looking man. 
he's brought home this weird guy. What's going on? What's what's this weird guy about? Yeah, I mean, it's it. This was definitely more common than I feel like people don't care as much now. Mm. Um, but yeah, this. I think now everybody would be sitting in their homes and, you know, messaging each other. Yeah. <laughs> this is like, I, I feel like this is some next door stuff or something, you know? Yeah. Now, but, um, yeah, there's, I've, I've lived in a lot of gossipy neighborhoods before, um, and, this was when I when I watched this, I was like, oh yeah, I've I've known I've known these women. Yeah, as soon as the day breaks to the next day, everyone in town is getting to their car to drive to Peg's house so they could see this weird man she's brought home. And it's very quick how the neighborhood comes to welcome Edward. Yes, he's a weird-looking guy. He has scissors for hands. But he quickly shows that he has talent. Like, he's able to show that he's that he's the one that's been cut, cutting these hedge sculptures that's been in the front of that, of that gothic castle at the beginning of the movie. And then now everyone in town wants their hedges to be cut by Edward. He shows that he can do more with his... Scissors and just cut hedges. He can groom a dog. And now everyone in town wants him to groom their dog. And now he has a talent for cutting hair. And now he's the town hairdresser. Or the neighborhood hairdresser. To the point where they encourage him to maybe you should start a business. And he kind of goes. I mean that's that's a good point of the story, of, uh, the story where. He tries to start this hairdressing business, but because he technically does not exist, he was not born, he was created, he has, there is no record of him anywhere, he can't get a loan to start his business. Yeah, and I, I love that the, uh, that the banker is all like, Oh, you know, just go get a social security number, go buy a car, go do all the, you know, and he just says all these things like they're just the easiest thing in the world. Yeah. Like, you can just go around the corner and get a social security number right then and there. Just buy a car without, again... (laughs) You need information to buy the car, but you need the car to get the information. Huh. Yeah. The thing is, is that this is actually a problem in the real world. Mm-hmm. In a way that you wouldn't think. Where there are some people who, um, like, they want to be so off the grid or whatever. That they will do 
home births and then homeschool their children. And when their kids get like 18 and they want to go out on their own, they discover that their parents never filed a birth certificate for them. And as such, they don't have a social security number. And they were also never in public school. And a lot of them were never like taken to a doctor to get vaccinations or a checkup or anything. And so legally speaking, according to the government, they do not exist. And so they are like, you know, this where I'm speaking from an American context here. They are technically American citizens that were born on American soil to American parents. But they have no proof of that. Because their parents never actually filed the correct paperwork. And usually this happens in like, you know, insular religious communities or things like that. Mm-hmm. But like, there's a whole group of people that, you know, they hit 18 or 19 and they want to strike out on their own or they want to go to college or something like that. And they discover that they can't, they can't get a job, they can't get an apartment, they can't, because according to the government, they do not exist, and it's through no fault of their own. Mm. So I actually kind of felt bad for Edward. It was a thing I never really thought of growing up, because I was like, well, you know, this is a fantasy movie, and it's not like anybody would ever have this happen to them. But there are actual, like, real people who have this happen to them, and I feel so bad for that. Um, so, um, knowing now, having read the stories of those people and listened to those people speak out on, like, how difficult it is to actually prove that you exist um, at, like, you know, 18 to 20, and you don't actually have a paper trail proving you exist uh is such a weird nightmarish situation so i feel so bad for edward when i see this now as an adult knowing the context when the guy's like you know hey just pop over there and get a social security number and a apartment buy a car and stuff easy peasy and then come back and we'll give you all the money you want for your business like it really does not work like that but I really like the way that it shows the exploitation of Edward. Like Peg really does want to just help. That is her initial point. Is she just, she sees this guy that she thinks needs help. And she brings him home without thinking about the consequences. And Everyone else in the neighborhood wants to exploit him in some way or another. And Peg just seems completely naive about everything. And it spirals so out of her control. 
And I think the best thing about it is when Edward ends up on the TV show. Yeah. And it's so sad because that's when, you know, everybody in the neighborhood has discovered that he can make topiaries and he can, you know, be a dog groomer and he can make all these wacky haircuts for women and, you know. And so it ends up on like a local TV program and this one woman in the audience asks like, hey, you know, would he like to see a surgeon that she thinks could help? And he was like, oh, yes, I'd, I'd love to talk to him. And then somebody else says, but if you if you get your hands fixed, you'll be just like everybody else. And he's like, yeah, I know. And they're like, but then you won't be special. And, you know, they are they are saying the quiet part loud, but not in so many words. You will no longer be unique. You will no longer be of use. And you will no longer be interesting to us. Yeah. You know, you wouldn't be on TV today if you were a, a dude with regular hands. Which he's fine with. He just wants to be a dude. A regular dude. Yeah and. That's the thing is that. He he doesn't want to be anybody's. You know topic of interest. He wants to. Just. Be. Yeah he, he just wants to. To be a, a guy and it's so sad that they're like okay but nobody would talk to you or take interest in you or want to be your friend or anything and I'm thinking like yeah but that's on you because Peg is the only one that comes to his defense of like he'll he'll always be special, even if he doesn't have scissors for hands. And I think that she's the only one that genuinely means it. Yeah. Because everybody in the audience is like, oh, isn't that nice? Yes, of course. He'll always be special. And it's in that way that people say, like, well, everybody's special in their own way, and so, and you know they don't mean it. But right before this is the beginning of the end because Kim and her boyfriend Jim have locked themselves out of, I assume it's Jim's house. Be oh, no, it, it was Kim's house. Okay. Because she's rummaging through her purse for her keys and she can't believe she lost her keys. And then Edward comes up finding a new trick for his scissors in that he can pick locks so he he's, he is able to open up the the house the front the house front door with his scissors without damaging the lock or scratching anything which plays into the downfall of ed in this whole situation 
in that Jim is getting insanely jealous over over Edward because Edward is it's very obvious he kind of has a crush on Kim and Kim is starting to at first she kind of freaks out over over Edward because he's pale face he, he's looking all weird but then she gets to know the guy oh he's actually a pretty nice guy and she kind of starts to be friends with him at least at the beginning they start to be being friends and Jim isn't having that I mean, he 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 laughs when Edward accidentally electrocutes himself when he when his scissors touch the microphone. He wants to 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 get rid, of, for lack of a better term, get rid of the competition. So he sets up this situation to get Ed in trouble. They break into Jim's house to steal his father's van so they can go joyriding. Only for the alarm system to kick in and lock Edward into the house. And then he gets arrested. Yeah, and Kim really does want to stay on site to explain to the police what happened. Because she is sort of a good egg. She's a little too... She, there's a little naivete in her, too. Yeah, and and Jim really is kind of an abusive and controlling boyfriend. And so he's, he's mean, Jim, the one that, that makes yeah, Jim convinces things. Yeah, yeah, Jim convinces Kim to get Edward to break them into the house. To which he even says, I knew what house we were breaking into. I only did it because you asked me to. Yeah, because Jim tells Edward this whole story about, like, the, these people stole from me and I have to get the stuff back and, you know, all that kind of stuff. When they're really just breaking into Jim's house because mm -hmm. he wants to steal from his dad. But Edward says later, you know, yeah, I, I knew exactly what was going on, you know. And but, it, show, it shows that Edward isn't, isn't stupid. Yeah. He may be a little, you know, awkward and he doesn't exactly know how to express himself, but he's not an idiot. He knew exactly what was going to happen, but he did it because Kim asked him to and he would do anything for her. Yeah, but Edward ends up in in jail and he ends up being let go. And the charges dropped because a psychiatrist says that he doesn't understand right from wrong due to all of his years of isolation in the mansion. Mm -hmm. And apparently Jim's Jim kind of convinced his dad to drop the charges because uh, his his dad thinks that Edward is mentally incapacitated in some way. Uh, possibly because of that same psychiatrist. Hmm. So, you know, the the problem comes when this becomes the thing that makes Kim break up with her boyfriend. Like you, 
you used him and you left him there. And because of you, now everybody in the neighborhood hates is, him. Is, yeah, they, they hate him now. They're no longer letting him do jobs for them. They don't want him to open up a salon anymore. They, you know, like. They're not even going to come to the annual Christmas party. Yeah, the family always does a, a Christmas party and everybody in, te- in the neighborhood comes and now everybody in the neighborhood is like, oh yeah, we're going to try to make it, but we have also have uh, other uh, obligations and uh, yeah, we'll try and yeah. But, yeah, the, it's it's really sad, but it's also, you can see how fickle the people are, you know? And we just said it, if he was a normal person, would this neighborhood even care about him? Probably not. I mean, it would be like the, you know, a a bit of gossip in the neighborhood Mm -hmm. because it would be like, okay, why is Peg bringing a guy to live in the house with them? You know, Mm -hmm. because I still think that Peg would take pity on him, even if he was, even if he was fully finished and had hands. Mm -hmm. Um, she would just see a, a guy alone up there who is socially awkward and needs a family and, you know, so I think that she would have still, you know, brought him down and tried to give him a family and get him settled in society and stuff. But I think that immediately the the neighbors would have been like, well, there's that weird guy that Peg brought to live with her family, you know. Do you think she's sleeping with him? You know, like, mm-hmm. that That would have been the thing. Um, But I don't think that they would have, like, let him do odd jobs and, you know, tried to help him start a business or, you know. Mm-hmm. But now that he's, you know, done something to cross a legal line well now we can pounce you know in fact the 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 woman who was throw who throws herself at everybody including edward is now changing her story that edward possibly tried to rape her yeah she's you know we as the audience saw exactly what happened. She was throwing herself at him. Yeah. Um, And he was very uncomfortable and did not want that to happen, but also did not understand how to reject her, which is why people say that the only yes is an enthusiastic yes. Like, just saying, like, well, they didn't say no is not enough. Mm-hmm. Because Edward is very definitely saying no in that scene. 
even though he doesn't say anything. He's not interested in her. He he has his little crush on Kim. But also, I think he doesn't understand what she is doing. There is, there is a very strong possibility that Edward does not understand what sex is. I don't think his father had taught him that at that point. Yeah, I mean, that is a very big possibility. Um, because after that scene, you know, the he is spared anything going further because the chair that they are in collapses, at which point he takes the opportunity to quickly leave. And he goes to the diner nearby where the family is waiting for him. And they say, how does, how did it go? And he was like, oh, you know, the, the front is very nice. And there's a place where Peg can have a cosmetics counter. And then we went into the back room where there will be storage. And also the woman took her clothes off. And the father, who is the densest person in the planet, just goes like, oh, that's nice. Well, I guess next you'll go to the bank and try to get a loan. And Peg and Kim exchange looks like... She did what? <laughs> you know, okay, we understand what is going on here. We are not sure Edward understands what is going on here. Because he just says it as a very factual but uncomfortable thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I do not understand why she took her clothes off, but that is what happened. Mm -hmm. I do not understand the point of her taking her clothes off, but, you know. Um, so I always read that, that scene as, like, he was completely unaware of what she was attempting to do. He just knew it made him uncomfortable. The problem is, is that you know, now, then she tries to become the main character once everybody is like, well, I always had a bad feeling about him, and I I always thought that he was going to rob somebody, and I, you know. And then you have the, the one overly religious neighbor, I told you he was the devil! Yeah. Um... That I lo I love what he ends up doing to her when he like gives up on the neighborhood and he goes and makes the topiary of the demon right outside her window. Mm -hmm. That's always been my favorite part of the movie. <laughs> he was like he destroys everything in front of everybody else's house, but he goes and he gets a topiary in front of hers and it's a demon face. Um, With lights. With the lights. Well, I think that's just uh, I've I've watched it so many times and I don't think he puts lights in it. I think it's the reflection of the candles inside that makes it look like demon eyes. That makes it look like demon eyes. Um but yeah. The thing is though is that of course as they're as they're waiting for the the people who will never show up to the Christmas party, um, 
we have Winona Ryder in that beautiful white dress. Yeah. And that is the first time we see snow because we see the father up on the roof. Putting up the Christmas uh, decorations. Putting yeah. up the Christmas decorations and putting up the fake snow on the roof. That, you know, ugly cotton batting that some people in in places where it doesn't snow put up on the roof to make it look like snow-covered roof. Um, here's a hint. It doesn't make your roof look snow-covered. It just uh, gathers uh, rain and leaves and pine straw and uh then it becomes disgusting and icky and uh don't do that that stuff is awful i people don't really do that anymore but it was a much bigger thing in like the 80s and early 90s um i i used to hate that stuff being on people's roofs because like you know the first day it would be like ah it's pretty it's white and fluffy and it looks like it's snow on your roof and then like it would rain and then it's like, oh, look, you've got mildew on your roof in the form of cotton batting. <laughs> and there's bugs all in it. And it's just like brown Leaves and, yeah. you know, gross. And, yeah, it's just, it's awful. Um, but Ed, Edward, he has, he's making this very beautiful ice sculpture. Of an angel. Yeah. Yeah. And this is one of the most beautiful scenes ever put to film. Winona Ryder dancing in the shaved ice that Edward, that, you know, Johnny, Johnny Depp doing this, making this ice sculpture as the charred, uh, you know, the, the ice chunks turn into snow. And there's Winona Ryder dancing in the snow. And one of the best pieces of music Danny Elfman has ever composed. Yes, Danny Elfman, because this is a Tim Burton movie. Yeah. They were a couple of films into their collaboration by this point. Yeah. Um, but that, like, choral piece and her in that white dress, smiling, twirling around in the, the chunks of ice as it falls and the, oh. It just, everything about that is the most beautiful magical bit of film you know so that that is just absolutely wonderful and i love it i love everything about it no notes mm -hmm. perfect scene perfect bit of film but of course it it ends kind of tragically as Jim shows up and is immediately like, what are you doing up there? You know, hey, butthole, stop making the most beautiful scene ever put to film. And Which causes Ed to kind of drop his hand. And Kim has her hands up in the snow. And Edward accidentally cuts Kim's hand. Yeah. And as we find out later, it is an incredibly superficial cut. Because Peg cleans her up and she's like, oh, look, it's it's nothing, you know, and it's it, only it a flesh wound. Yeah, it, it's only a flesh wound. It appears to be just a tiny little nick and, you know, it's it's fine. Um, and all but, but Jim is using this as an excuse to beat up Edward. 
Because yeah. he's been waiting for an excuse this entire movie. And so they have a little tussle and Kim goes like, you know, go away. I've broken up with you. I don't love you anymore. Leave. And Jim leaves and goes off and gets drunk with his buddy in the back of his buddy's, like, awful flame-painted van. uh, This is also after Jim has said, you know, you heard Kim, get out of here, you don't belong here. And at this point, he's just completely given up on everything. Yeah, and Edward, you know, marches off and and starts, you know, popping tires on cars and tearing down all the topiary and, you know, carving, you know, demon topiary in front of the religious lady's house. Chopping you know. his clothes off with his scissors because this whole being human thing hasn't worked out for him. Boy, I know your feelings on that one, Edward. He's just running around and... Someone calls the cops because, you know, he's running around chopping down plants and popping tires on cars and, you know, okay. Um, So, of course, it's, you know, crazy white women going like, I'm going to call the cops, you know. Mm. Um, And so all of this intersects. You know, with Ed- Edward running around trying to hide from the cops and the neighbors looking for him. And he ends up back at Kim's Kim's house because the entire family has gone out to look for him. And Kim has stayed at home in case he came back. And of course he comes back because where else does he have to go? And... That's where they have their beautiful little moment together where she's like, hold me. And he's like, I don't want to hurt you. And she gently puts his scissors around her, you know. It's a beautiful moment. Yeah. Like, like you know, you know, like, he, 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 you know, it's he, he wants to show affection to her, but he can't because he doesn't want to hurt her. And she's just, you know, okay. You know, we can try, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. And, but the thing is, is like, it's one of those things. And of course, it's, again, it's a gothic romance. Mm-hmm. So they they both know it will never work. Mm-hmm. Um, but as he's standing there holding her and remembering the day his father died and all that kind of stuff... Um, he looks and he sees the swerving van because drunk driver, you know, coming it, down the road. And he sees Kim's little brother crossing the road and about to be hit by the van. So he, he tries to, he plays hero, tries to pushes him out of the way and accidentally cuts little Kevin here. But again, it's just a tiny superficial nick. It's not, you know, he doesn't actually really injure Kevin, but Kevin is scared because he just almost got ran off by a car. Yeah, he's just crossing the street, and then all of a sudden he's, 
you know, sees headlights and then he gets tackled and then all of a sudden something cuts his face and, you know, Edward's over him being like, hey, I'm scared and, you know, like, are you okay? And, you know, and then there are neighbors around being like, get off of him and, you know, like, he's like at the eight-year-old boy or whatever, you know, he's going to be terrified. And, and yeah, this really gets the town against Edward and just gives Jim more of an excuse to start just punching him in the face. Yeah, but of course, Edward fights back at this point because he, like all of us, has had enough of Jim. Mm-hmm. And uh, he ends up slicing Jim's arm in self-defense. And Jim is like, uh, no. Screw that, you know, you're you're a monster and whatever. And Kim does the only thing she can do, and she tells him, like, you know, run, run back to the mansion. It's the only place you might be safe. Which gets us to our big final scene in the mansion. Yeah. Can we? This is one of the few times I will say shout out to the cop. Because the cop definitely tries to do Edward a solid. Yeah, he's not here. Go home. Well, he, he fires his gun into the air mm. and tries to make people think that he killed Edward. Mm. But the only problem is, is that Jim doesn't buy it. And goes into, you know... Kim goes in to to make sh- sure because she's like, I have to see, you know, if he's really dead or not. And so she finds Edward alive and then she's like, don't worry about it. Everybody thinks you're dead. And then Jim shows up with a gun, which where did he get a gun? And then I remember America. So where couldn't he have gotten a gun? And Jim's like, no, 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 I didn't believe you were dead. I came here to make absolutely sure you're going to be dead. And then, you know, as he's on top of, as Jim is on top of Edward, pounding, pounding him. uh, Kim, You want to rephrase that? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Let me rephrase this, because this is not that kind of movie. Um, so yeah, Jim tackles Edward and starts punching him in the face. And then Kim just carries a, a loose a loose piece of the ceiling that fought that fell, knocks Jim off, grabs Edward's ar- arm and says, Leave or I'll kill you myself. Which good for her. She has had enough of his BS. You are not going to hurt my friend. Yeah. And he slaps her and pushes her off. Like. Totally. And, and, and that's that's the final straw. He yeah. hurt him. I mean, first of all, we we do not hurt Winona Ryder. <laughs> she is a treasure. You leave Winona Ryder alone. So, uh, you know, Edward does the only thing Edward knows how to do, and he stabs that boy in the stomach 
and shoves him out a window. Proper Disney death. <laughs> Only we have a we have a body, we have blood. Yeah, and apparently Tim Burton got a lot of flack for that. Like the fact that Jim actually died. And I want to tell you, I have been angry for the last however many years it's been since this movie came out because I still to this day am angry that he didn't land in the hand (laughs) that hand topiary is right there and he doesn't land in it there's like filmmaking 101 my dude check off topiary (laughs) come on (laughs) How to like like at the time like he's he's out the window and I'm like he's gonna land in that hand he's gonna land in that hand and then I'm like what why didn't he like like to this day every time I watch that movie I am beyond livid that Anthony Michael Hall's body does not land in that freaking topiary <laughs> like you want to do something with AI redo that scene where his body like lands dramatically draped over that hand topiary that is the only problem with this movie this is an absolutely no perfect movie i have no problem with any scene in this movie except anthony michael hall's dead body not landing in that hand like seriously no lie, if I ever meet Tim Burton, that is the only question I have in my mind. <laughs> and then there's this big, you know, this is the point of no return for either one of them at this point. Like, Edward just killed someone. There's no going back to this town for him. Yeah, she she knows that they're they're coming to kill him. They're never going to leave him alone alone yeah. you know and he just looks at her because he realizes they're coming to kill him and he's not going to fight back like he doesn't want to kill anybody else like jim did something wrong he hurt kim he slapped yeah. her but the the thing is is like the rest of the townspeople are just misguided Like, he doesn't actually have anything against them. So you can see it that he's just going to let it happen. Mm -hmm. And he looks at her and he just says goodbye. Because he knows that this is the end. And as long as she's safe, that he's going to let it happen. Mm -hmm. And the... The thing about it that that just I think that that's the thing that gets me mm-hmm. is that he's like, okay, you're safe now because I know that the townspeople won't hurt you. You know, they're not evil. Jim was evil. Jim Jim really had some some stuff going on in his brain. The rest of the people are just weird gossips and whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. And now that they've seen he's killed someone, whether or not they just drag him to the police or whether or not they take vengeance there, that's it for Edward. Mm -hmm. 
you know, he he's not he's not going to be very long for the earth, you know. And so you know, he's he's saying his goodbye while he can. But I do like that that Kim is is a bit smarter. Yep, she hugs him, tells him that she loves him, runs downstairs, grabs They, they have one... that little kiss, which yeah. I love. Yeah. She runs downstairs, grabs one of Edward's spare claws, scissors from the inventor's workbench, and says, Edward's dead. The roof caved in on him, which we saw the, you know, the caved-in roof. It fell on Edward, he's dead. And it happened right after he killed Jim. They killed each other. Yeah. And I love that she goes, you can go look, but, you know. You're not going to find anything. Here's a hand. Because even if they did go up there, they would see the collapsed roof. They would see the gun. Yeah. So they could probably put it together. He shot the roof. The roof caved in. He put he stabbed him on as what it was happening. You know, there's which yeah, smart on Kim for grabbing that extra scissor hand and saying, Yeah, he's dead. And look, I got his hand. I like that the townsfolk are not very perceptive because if you actually look, it is a similar hand to Edwards, but it's like an earlier model or something. A prototype at best. Yeah, it's something like that. Um, or maybe it's from a different uh, machine. Because, you know, the inventor got the idea for Edward from like a chopping machine that was in the kitchen tools or whatever. And, um, but also it's just like covered in cobwebs and rust and stuff. Um, and there's no blood on it, which, like, if he'd have just stabbed Anthony Michael Hall, like, there'd probably be blood on it, you know, like, if they'd been fighting, because mm-hmm. um, he had cut several people that night, you know, he'd cut Kevin, he'd cut Anthony Michael Hall, he'd cut Kim, you know, so... It's covered in cobwebs and rust. There's no blood on it. There's no, you know. And it's a different, a slightly different model. And I I love that they're just like, yeah, well, okay, whatever. She's she, She's got a thing. And, like, maybe it's dark and they're just not paying close enough attention or whatever. But they don't care. They just wanted a show. And as soon as the show's it, over, they all left. Yeah. And so they all leave, and they're like, yeah, whatever, I guess he's dead. But also, the other thing that gets me is that the entire town's like, yeah, whatever, scissor guy's dead, everybody back home. Okay, but fast forward to a year later, and it's roughly Christmas time, and it starts, quote-unquote, snowing. Except we see what the snow looks like from the town's perspective. Which is just this, like, plume of ice snow stuff. 
emanating from the mansion on the mountain. Like, I know that we're being told this story from Winona Ryder's perspective. As an old As an old, old woman. Does mm-hmm. how long has he been doing that? Did he wait until everybody died except for her? Who knows? And where's he getting the ice from? Well, yeah. Also, where is he getting the ice from? But the but the thing is, is like, don't you think if you had lived in the area when the scissor dude came to town? And suddenly, in the area where it doesn't snow, weird snow starts appearing from that mansion every Christmas. You'd be a little... You know? Maybe they just don't care anymore. I mean, who cares? I don't know. Or do you think the town is just like, as long as he stays behind those gates, we're not going up there? Possibly, because they don't want to get stabbed either. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you think, like, every generation of kids that that gets born in that suburb and, like, everybody that moves to that suburb is just told, like, look, we don't talk about it with outsiders, (laughs) but don't go into Stabby Mansion. (laughs) Like, (laughs) there's a madman up there. He killed a kid. He'll kill you, too. (laughs) Yeah, like, like. Look, sometimes it, like, snows weirdly from there. A lot of times you're going to hear snippity, snippity, snip and see, like, leaves and flowers and stuff, like, drift down from there. Just don't go in there. Don't try to peer into the gates. Don't, like, just give that place a wide berth, okay? Weird goth Johnny Depp lives in there. And as long as you leave him alone, he'll leave you alone. And and Winona Ryder's little granddaughter says, well, why don't you go back up there and, and visit him if you haven't seen him in so long? And her says she doesn't want to ruin the memory. He, yeah, he, he doesn't age and I don't I don't want to age either, you know, in, in front of him, you know, yeah. let, let, let him have the memory of me being young. And we see that he does remember her young because he's carving statues of her dancing mm-hmm. which is pretty that's mm-hmm. that's nice yeah but like you do you feel really bad because it's like he's gonna be alone forever up there yeah but maybe it's for the best because could anyone understand understand him that won't use him or abuse him well, I mean, at least, like, one family did. Well, part of one family. Two members of one family. Yeah. Because I don't think the little boy really cared either way. He just wanted something cool to show a show and tell. Yeah, and the father was just the worst. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of, you know, it's it's a really beautiful movie. Mm-hmm. And I love it so much because for a while, Tim Burton was the only one keeping goth alive, I think, in mainstream 
American film. Now we've got Guillermo del Toro. Yeah. Which which is an upgrade. I'm going to say it. I said what I said. <laughs> um, I mean, Tim Burton was good at the beginning, but then I think he got a little too up his own rear end. Smoking too much of his own supply. Yeah. And so I, I think he's... He's kind of lost it. Ironically, this under this film understands the point of the Adams family better than Wednesday did. <laughs> I'm not kidding. This is, you know, the rather normal, sane but goth-looking aesthetic in the middle of the suburbia is the weird and frightening place. Hmm. And that's honestly what Adam's family has always been about. So it's weird how he nailed basically Adam's family here and yet once he got a hold of Adam's family as a property, absolutely lost the plot on it. I mean, the most memorable thing about that is Jenna Ortega's dancing. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I've I've still not seen Wednesday because I can't bring myself to it. I've I've seen clips and reviews, but I, I can't bring myself to do it because it's just it's, it's so off. I mean, supposedly they're making Beetlejuice 2 with Minota Ryder and Jenna Ortega, so we're going to find out if he still has it or not. Yeah, I mean, I'm cautiously optimistic. Yeah. Since that's his own property, mm-hmm. and he should understand it, but we'll see. We'll see. So, let's ask the question, Kiki. Does Edward Scissorhands have the magic? Yes. I mean, with the exception of drop Anthony Michael Hall in that hand topiary, (laughs) perfect film. This 30 year old movie still has it. This, 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 this still holds up. It's still, it's still a great movie. It's, it's Tim Burton at his best. It's, it's, it, it, it gets all, it's, it's still good. It's still good. And yeah, if you, this is a great movie, you know, if you're, I know this is going to be sacrilege for some people, but if you're tired of watching The Nightmare Before Christmas every year, you might want to watch this one. Yeah, I mean, I I agree. Yeah. Or watch them both. Or watch them both. Make it a make it a double feature. Yeah. So let's move on to next week. What 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 better way to celebrate the holiday season? Then Charlie Brown, Snoopy, and the Peanuts gang. Unfortunately, all of those movies are property of Apple TV now, except for one. And we will be reviewing that one movie next week. It's the only movie that was made by 20th Century Fox. It's the only one that Disney owns. The Peanuts movie from 2015. The attempt to bring the Charlie Brown gang into the modern era. We are going to see how that goes. We're going to see how that has held up over the last almost 10 years. 
So, uh, yeah, going back, uh, celebrating the holidays with Charlie Brown and Snoopy, as it should be. Yeah, and I haven't seen that one yet, so we'll see how it hits me for the first time. All right, so come back next week for the Peanuts movie, and we'll talk to you all next time. Bye. Bye. Don't let the magic stop here. Join our conversations on Facebook, Instagram, and threads at Rewatching the Magic. We are on the X, formerly known as Twitter, at Rewatch the Magic. And new episodes are available every week at rewatchingthemagic.podbean.com. Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it. Podcasts are fun. But there's work to be done. We encourage you to get involved. Here are some organizations we support. The American Civil Liberties Union fights for the constitutional rights of all Americans. Find them at aclu.org. The National Network of Abortion Funds helps people find access to safe abortion services. Their site is abortionfunds.org. The Trevor Project provides a 24-7 crisis helpline for LGBTQ youth and education services for schools on LGBTQ issues. They can be found at thetrevorproject.org. Or find a way to help in your area.